Like I said, the title of my message this evening is The Fruit of the Spirit is Patience Part 2. Last week we began our look at the fruit or the virtue of patience taken from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And before I go any further, I'm just going to ask you guys back me down a little bit. I'm getting a lot of bounce off the back wall. It started out good and it just seemed to get louder. Anyway, last week our look at the fruit of the... Last week we began our look at the fruit or the virtue of patience and it's taken, as you know, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 where Paul contrasts the fruit of the flesh against the fruit of the Spirit. He contrasts the fruit of this world against the fruit of the kingdom of God, the fruit of unrighteousness with the fruit of righteousness. And as I stated last week, patience for many of us seems to be one of the most difficult fruits for us to bear, amen, or at least to maintain in the difficult times of life uh, that might arise. Last week we took a semi-humorous look at this fruit, and I pray that the words that we heard were able to find a place in the soil of our souls so that we might be able to produce the fruit of patience. Amen? Patience in our problems, patience with people as well. Patience with the poor drivers that we talked about last week. Patience in the grocery store. Patience at the workplace. Patience with our kids. Patience with our spouse. Patience with the difficult people that we might have to deal with in every area of our life. Because patience, as we have so often heard, is a virtue. And it is a virtue that the Holy Spirit wants us to bear. It's a virtue that the Lord wants to be obvious in our lives. Amen? You see, the reality is patience should be obvious in the lives of God's children. This virtue of patience should be obvious in the lives of those who call themselves Christians or sons and daughters of the Most High God. One of the Greek words that we looked at last week was hypomone, which meant to bear up or to abide in times of difficulty. It meant to stand firm or to not be moved or to not vacate in the midst of difficult situations or when we find ourselves in the presence of difficult people, church. That's the word hypomone. The other word that we looked at was macrothymia, meaning to wait and to watch. Meaning to wait and watch for God to move or God to act or God to speak on our behalf, church. It actually means to be still and know that He is God. And that's what I want to look at a little bit more because the reality is there's times in our life when it's hard to be still. Amen? There's times in our life where it's hard for us to wait and for us to watch. But this is the very thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to do as His children. It's to learn to wait and watch. It's for us to macrothymia. And this is the word that the Holy Spirit wants us to look at in part two. I told you last week that there was so much concerning this fruit or this virtue that the Holy Spirit wants to develop in our lives. So this, this evening we're going to look a little bit more. I know my message last week was a bit humorous, but the one thing that we need to realize is that all of the people that I spoke of last week, the drivers, the, the customers in the grocery store, the co-workers, the, the, the friends, or anyone else that might seem to get on our last nerve. They're not the problem when it comes to this, to this virtue called patience. We are. You see, the reality is when we lose our patience, we're the problem and not anyone else. You see, the reality is when we fail to hypomone or we fail to macrothymia, no one else is the problem. We're the problem. You see, the slowpoke isn't the problem. The coupon lady isn't the problem. The waitress isn't the problem. Our children aren't the problem. And our spouse isn't the problem. And our boss isn't the problem. And our co-workers isn't the problem. When it comes to this thing called patience, we're the problem, church. When it comes to the fruit of patience, the problem arises when our patience doesn't stand firm. The problem arises when our patience checks out and leaves a vacancy for impatience instead. The problem arises when we fail to bear the fruit uh, that God has called us to bear in every season and fruit that will last, church. Because the fruit of the flesh is impatience. And it's obvious, Paul said. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then patience. Amen? 
Tonight I want to finish up on the fruit of patience by looking at the children of Israel and their failure to, and you're going to hear me say these words just so you remember them and understand them, but their failure to hypomone or macrothymia when they found themselves between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. When they found themselves in a difficult situation, when they found themselves pressed in on every side, tonight I want to look at their failure to stand firm and wait on God. Their failure to be still and know that He was God, church. You see, the, if there were ever a time that we needed to be still and know that He's God, is when we're in the middle of a mess. If there were ever a time for us to be, stand still and know that He's God, it's when we find ourselves pressed in. The, the, last, the last place we want to take matters into our own hands is when we're in a place like the children of Israel pressed in, church, with a Red Sea on one side and the enemy marching in on the other. But that's what I want to look at this evening. What we discover about the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14, which we'll look at in just a bit, but I want to lay a foundation, is that in the middle of their situation, in the middle of their circumstance, in the middle of their trial, or you might call it a test, their patience failed, church. And so often ours does the same exact thing. It checked out, you might say. It packed its bags and moved on, and so did their faith. Because the reality is, faith and patience go hand in hand. Faith and patience you might call power twins because they can't be fully fulfilled without the other. You see, the reality is you can be filled with patience. But if you don't have faith, all you'll do is struggle and you'll never conquer. If all you have is patience but you don't have faith, you'll endure, you'll endure, you'll endure, but you'll never break through. The reality is if you have faith but you don't have patience, your, your, your faith will give up. Your faith will wear thin. Your faith will wear out. And what you and I need to understand is that faith and patience, they go hand in hand. One can't exist fully without the other. This is what you need to understand. And that was the problem with the children of Israel. When things weren't like they thought they should be. When the road got rough, when their way got tough, when the enemy rose up in their lives, church, when they found themselves pressed in. Patience vacated their soul, and so did their faith. They both, they both excuse me, walked off together, and they left a gaping hole for the fruit of the flesh to flourish instead. You see, that's what happens, church, when the, the fruit of the Spirit is not cultivated in our life, and it's not produced in our life. It leaves a gaping hole for the fruit of the flesh to flourish instead. And the children of Israel, because their patience checked out, because their patience couldn't stand firm, because their patience walked away, church, it left a gaping hole for the fruit of the flesh to, to, to cultivate in their life. It left a gaping hole for the crops of carnality to be cultivated in their life. And you'll find out cultivated in their speech and cultivated in their heart instead. Because the truth is, like I said, when the fruit of the Spirit fails to grow in your life, the fruit of the flesh will. When the fruit of the Spirit fails to, to be cultivated and produced in your life, the fruit of the flesh will culti- be cultivated and be produced instead. When the fruit of righteousness fails to grow in our lives, the fruit of unrighteousness will. When the fruit of the Father, church, fails to flourish in our lives, the fruit of this world will flourish instead. It's the way it works, church. And the same is true with patience and impatience. If one grows, the other won't. But if one won't, the other will. Because the reality is one is of the Spirit and one is of the flesh. And it's exactly why Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, to make no room for the flesh. To make no provisions for the flesh. Don't allow the flesh to occupy your mind. Don't allow the flesh to occupy your spirit. Don't allow the flesh to occupy your marriage or occupy your finances or occupy your family. Paul is saying, make no room for the flesh. He was saying, make no room for the fruit of unrighteousness in your life. Make no room for the, few, for the fruit of immaturity in your life. Make no room for the weeds of this world to grow up and be cultivated in your life. And in the same way, we are to make no room for the fleshly fruit of impatience in our lives either. How? By putting on patience. By putting on the fruit of the Spirit. Paul said, make no room for the flesh. But clothe yourself... In Jesus Christ, 
Clothe yourself in the fruit of righteousness. Clothe yourself in the spirit of, of righteousness. Clothe yourself in the things or the, the character of the kingdom of God, church. You see, if you, want, if, if you don't want impatience to have a place in your life, you've got to put on patience. If you don't want the fruit of this world to be obvious in your life, you've got to put on the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. You've got to clothe yourself in His Word. You've got to clothe yourself in prayer. You've got to clothe yourself in the, the Word of God. You've got to clothe yourself in the things of the kingdom of God. And when you and I are covered in the things of God, the, there's no room for the flesh, church. When you're struggling in the flesh, and the flesh becomes obvious in your life, when the, the, the things of the flesh becomes obvious or the fruit of the flesh becomes obvious in your speech, when it becomes obvious in your marriage, when it becomes obvious in your household, when it becomes obvious in your workplace, it means you don't have on enough of Jesus Christ. It means there's not enough of the kingdom of God filling your life, church, or filling your marriage, or filling your mouth, or filling your mind. Because when you make no room for the flesh... The flesh can't prosper, and the flesh can't flourish. The flesh can't be cultivated in your life, church. Why do you think Paul said, walk in the Spirit? When you walk in the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh, the Bible says. Fill yourself with the Spirit. Fill yourself with the Word. Fill yourself with the things of God. And, and listen to me, church. The fruit of the flesh will not have room to grow. And that's one of the things that we need to understand in this passage that we're listening. Listen, the difference between patience and impatience is that one stands still and the other panics. One stands still and the other runs around. One stands still and knows that he's God where the other wonders where God is. You understand what I'm saying? Impatience wonders, wonders where God is. Patience stands still and knows that He's God. Whether I feel Him or not, I know He's God. Whether I see Him moving yet, I know He's God. Whether, whether anything is being manifested in my marriage or in my life or in my finances, right at this moment, I'm standing still because I know that He's God. Amen? That's what patience does. It's what faith does. The two of them together, they, they know how to stand still and know that He's God. Impatience doesn't have a clue who God is. Impatience is, is a fruit that shouldn't be born in our life, church. You and I need to understand to be still and know that He is God. The difference between patience and impatience is that one knows how to stand still in the midst of a storm and the other loses faith instead. One packs its bags, well, one runs... It. Listen, I'm not the only one that does it. I know that you do. You find yourself pressed in. You find yourself in a difficult situation. The hardest thing to do is to stand still. The easiest thing to do is get your hands busy. Taking matters into your own hand. Taking matters into your own care instead of just standing still. Listen, there's times we got to move and we got to act. There's times we got to put our faith into action. You see, uh, uh, the Bible tells us, I think it was James that said, you show me your faith, I'll show you my, my faith in what I do, he said. And sometimes faith requires action, but a, but, but a lot of times faith requires just standing still and knowing that he's God, amen? And this is one of the things that we need to understand. It's what patience does. We learned it, it's what hypomone does. It stands still and knows that he's God. This is what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, church. According to the Word, one of the things that you and I have to understand is that without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord, the Bible tells us. Amen? But I also believe that without patience, it's impossible to please the Lord as well. Because if the two of those go hand in hand, listen, if impatience runs around and doesn't know who God is, if, in, if patience is able to stand still and know that He's God, that pleases God. If impatience is the opposite of that, guess what? Impatience doesn't please the Lord. Impatience is, is displeasing to the Lord. It's discouraging to the Lord. And we need to understand that. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And I believe without patience, we cannot please the Lord either. According to the word of the Lord, when we fail to be patient, we're displeasing to the Lord. When we fail to be still... When we fail to stand firm in our faith and wait on God to move or wait on God to act or wait on God to speak, we become displeasing to Him, church. 
When we take matters into our own hands like King Saul did in 1 Samuel 13 when he tired of waiting on the prophet of God. When he tired of waiting on God to move, all he had to do was wait seven days and he couldn't even wait that long. He grew impatient and he took matters into his own hands, church, and he lost his kingdom because of it. He lost his crown because of it. He lost his place of of honor because of it. You see, the reality is we need to learn to be still and wait on God. It's what patience does. And when we fail to, to, to stand firm, when we take matters into our own hands, just like King Saul did, we're displeasing to the Lord. When we, like Abraham and Sarah, to fail to wait and watch for the promise to be produced in our lives, we're displeasing to the Lord. When we fail to wait and watch for the promise to be produced in our marriage, for the promise to be produced in our home, for the promise to be produced in our sons and daughters, when we fail to wait and watch for the promise to be fulfilled in our finances and in every other area where God has spoken a promise into our life, when we fail to wait and watch, we displease the Lord. There's plenty of times in my life where I've been displeasing to the Lord. One of the hardest areas, this is just me, one of the hardest areas for me to wait and watch is on my kids. Wait and watch for God to move. Wait and watch for God to do His thing. Wait and watch for God to finally break through. Wait and watch for them to grow up. Wait and watch for them to turn to God. Wait and watch for them to surrender their soul. Wait and watch for them to get a revelation, to get truth. Wait and watch for them to change their friends. Wait and watch, you understand? Wait and watch for them to get a job. Hardest area for for me, and I believe a lot of us, to wait and watch on God, church, and take matters into our own hand, end up saying things we shouldn't say to them, doing things we shouldn't do to them, church. And we get in God's way. It's what happens when we fail to wait and watch. We mess up what God's trying to do. And we're going to find out along the way that God knows exactly what He's doing. God didn't lead them to the Red Sea by accident. I planned this, God said. And whatever God's going, got going on in your life, it's part of His plan. And we just got to learn to be still and know that He's God. We got to learn to wait and watch for Him to move and speak or act. Why haven't you spoken yet, God? Why haven't you moved yet, God? Why haven't you done anything yet, God? It's just so hard to wait and watch. Amen? But this is what macrothymia is. Waiting and watching. we got to get used to it because we're supposed to. Our whole Christian life is about waiting and watching. If you don't know that, you don't know anything about the Christian life because ultimately our entire life as a Christian, we are to be waiting and watching for one thing. And that's the return of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the return of the king, waiting for the clouds to roll back, waiting for the trumpet to sound, waiting for the angel of the Lord to descend with a shout, waiting for us to be taken home by the bride. Listen, if we can't learn to wait and watch for that, we ain't going to learn to wait and watch for the things here on earth either. And if we can't even wait and watch for temporary things, how are we going to wait and watch for eternal things? If we can't wait and watch for God to move a little bit here and move a little bit there, how are we going to wait and watch for Him to move back the clouds and call us home, church? This is what we got to understand about this thing called patience. It's what the Christian life is all about. It's about hypomone and macrothymia. What we have to understand is that when we, when we tire of waiting, we're displeasing to the Lord. When we lean on our own understanding, church, when we fail to macrothymia like the children of Israel who at the Red Sea said, weren't there enough graves in Egypt, Moses, that you had to bring us out here to die? We displease God. This is what you and I have to understand about patience and impatience. Look, look, church, at what the chosen people said When patience failed to flourish in the soil of their soul. Look at what the royal priesthood said. When patience failed to flourish in their situation. Moses, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. 
For it would have been better for us to be slaves to the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Think about it just for a second, church. What the royal priesthood, holy nation, chosen people of God were saying when they found themselves pressed in. When they found themselves in a situation that they just didn't like. Maybe weren't planning for church. It would be better for us to be slaves, they said. Better for us to be bound. Better for us to be ruled by Pharaoh than to be ruled by God. Better for us to live in a land of bondage than to live in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's what his people said. Because patience ran out. Because they had no macrothymia. They weren't willing to wait and watch, church. And this is what we have to understand. The reality is... This is what happens when patience vacates our heart. It's exactly what happens when patience vacates our marriage. It's exactly what happens when patience vacates our family or vacates our finances. It leaves room for the filthy fruit of flesh to be cultivated in our lives, to be cultivated in our mind, to be cultivated in our speech. To be cultivated in every area of our lives, church. Make no room for the flesh, Paul said. Because if you do, these are the things that will happen. You'll start talking like slaves instead of like princes. You'll start talking like slaves instead of like princesses. You'll start living like you're the tail instead of the head. You'll start living and talking like you're the, uh, the below and not the above. When we make room for the flesh, when we fail to macrothymia, to wait and watch on God, we start to talk like slaves, think like slaves, live like slaves, act like slaves, instead of those that are free, church. Patience has the power, impatience has the power to take you back to Egypt. Patience has the power... To develop a taste for onions and leeks instead of the good things of God. Impatience. I got that all mixed up. Impatience has the power to bind you. Has the power to make you a slave to the things of this world. Where patience, if allowed to finish its work in our lives like we talked about last week, it has the power to take us into a promised land. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? Listen, patience always precedes the promise. Impatience always precedes a problem. It always precedes a mess. It always precedes something that God has to intervene and fix because we grew impatient. Amen? This is what you and I need to understand about this. Think about what they were saying. Simply because the fruit of the spirit of patience was it not being produced in their life? They would have rather gone back to Egypt than to, than to make their way to a land flowing with milk and honey. As soon as things got tough, the fruit of patience and the fruit of faith failed them, church. They stopped abiding and left a vacancy for fear and doubt and disbelief to occupy. And that's exactly what happens, like I said, when the fruit of patience fails to flourish in our lives as well. When the fruit of patience fails to flourish in your life, jealousy, anger, wrath, selfishness, greed, carousing, Sexual immorality, bitterness, strife, all of those things begin to cultivate in your life. Please understand what the power of, what, what patience has the power to prevent in your life. When you allow and cultivate the fruit of your, the spirit in your life, it prevents the fruit of the flesh. And all these things that Paul talked about prior to mentioning the fruit of the spirit, he mentioned all the fruits of the flesh, drunkenness, strife, and all those things that I just said. But he said to them that if you will cultivate the fruit of the spirit, then there's no room for the fruit of the flesh to be produced in your life. It's that simple, yet it's that hard, church. If we would just walk by the Spirit and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in our life, then we will not make room for the fruit of the flesh. 
You want, if, if you don't want the, the fruit of the flesh and all of these things and all of these things that Paul talked about, if you don't want them to be obvious in your life, he gives us the answer. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Cultivate the, the virtues, these nine virtues, that we uh, some that we've looked at and some that we will look at. But the reality is it's exactly what happens when we stop abiding in Christ. It leaves room for the fruit of the flesh. It leaves room for the fruit of unrighteousness in our lives. It's what happened to the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And far too often it happens when we are pressed in as well. Instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of macro mythia, instead of waiting and watching for God... Instead of mounting up with wings like eagles, the royal priesthood, the chosen people, the holy nation of God, they crawled in disbelief and impatience instead. They failed to trust and abide in God's word and plan that had already been spoken to them, church. And we're going to get to that. But you need to understand that in verses 1 to 4, church, in Exodus 14, 1 to 4, God spoke his plan to the people. And later on, you discover... That they failed to wait and watch for those words to be fulfilled. Look at it, church. So often we do the same thing. We fail to wait and watch. We fail to stand firm on the promises of God, on the things that He's spoken into our lives. We fail to abide and stand firm and fast on His Word. Look at Exodus 14, 1 through 4. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people to march toward Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. A lot of big words. Camp there along the shore opposite Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think those Israelites are confused. They're trapped between the wilderness and the sea. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and, I, and he will chase after you. But I have planned this, God said. So I will receive great glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies. He had already told them this when they panicked. He had already spoken his plan when they went into a tizzy. He had already spoken his purpose for them. He had already outlined his plan for and all the things that he was about to do. And they failed to stand firm on it, church. They did not wait and watch for these words or this promise to be fulfilled in their lives. And so often we do the same exact thing. The first thing we have to understand according to this word that we just read is that part of God's plan for our spiritual growth and maturity involves waiting and watching for God. It involves patience, church. And sometimes we've got to be prepared to camp out at the sea of difficulty just like the children of Israel did. God called them to this very place. And sometimes God calls us to places that we can't figure out why. Sometimes God calls us to places where we're pressed in. Sometimes God calls us to places of difficulty. Sometimes God calls us to a fiery furnace. Sometimes God calls us to the, to the side of a Jordan or to the, the side of a Red Sea. Sometimes God calls us to places that seem impossible for us, but with God all things are possible, church, if we would just wait and watch for God to move on our behalf. Notice in verse 2 and 4, God already told the people that being pressed in was part of His plan. It was always part of God's plan to put His people between the enemy and the Red Sea. It it might not sound nice. It might not sound fair. It might not sound like God. But listen, He didn't have their demise in mind. He had their victory in mind. God didn't call them to the Red Sea to die, but that's what they thought because they grew impatient. They thought God called them to the Red Sea to kill them. God thought, the the Israelites thought God called them to the Red Sea and trapped them right there so he could just wipe them out. That's what they thought. Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? That's what they thought. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's purpose. God's plan and purpose was for him to be glorified at the expense of Pharaoh and his army's church. And that's what we have to understand. It's what, listen, it was always part of God's plan to put them in a seemingly impossible situation. It was always part of God's plan to make it look like His children were trapped. It was always part of His plan to press them in. But it was also part of His plan to position Himself between them and the enemy. That's always part of God's plan. See, if, if you know God... 
You know that He never leaves you and forsakes you. If you know God as we should know God, you should know that God said He will always position Himself between us and the enemy. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. Listen, that means that God's standing between me and the flood. It says when the devil comes in one way, he's going to drive him out seven ways. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God is standing between me and the enemy. This is what patience understands. This is what the virtue of patience realizes, church. It can be still and know that he's God because he knows that he, it knows that God is right there between them and their difficulty, between them and their mountain, between them and their sickness, between them and their illness, between them and their struggle, between them and the enemy, whatever it might be, God is right there. And this is what we need to understand. All, all along, what you and I need to understand is that what is part of God's plan to receive great glory at the expense of the enemy at the expense of Pharaoh and his army, not at the expense of God's people, church. Not at the expense of his children. But the sad reality is, far too often, we act like God's plan is at our expense. Far too often we act, church, like God's plan is to harm us and not help us. Far too often we act like it's part of God's plan to take away our hope instead of giving us hope, to take away our future instead of giving us a future. Far too often we act, church, like it's God's plan to kill us and not cultivate us. That's what the Israelites thought. They thought it was part of God's plan to kill them, but it was part of God's plan to cultivate them. And that's what you need to understand. When God takes you to a pressed-in place, it's to cultivate you. It's to strengthen you. It's to mature you. It's to build you up in the most high faith. It's not to kill you. It's not to abandon you. It's not to leave you all alone. It's to cultivate you. It's to produce something of value inside your life and inside of my life. Far too often, church, we live, we talk, we act, we move, and we, and, 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 and we, we think like it's God's plan to ruin us instead of ripen us. But that's what this Christian faith is all about. This is what this study on the fruit of the Spirit is, or the fruits of the Spirit are all about. It's because God wants to ripen us, church. He wants to mature us and He wants to strengthen us. It's like last week, He wants us to fly, not crawl. And the only way that He can do that, like we learned last week, is to press us. The only way that the caterpillar ever flied was to be put in a place where it was pressed. The only way that you and I will ever fly, the only way you and I will ever mature, the only way that you and I will ever experience the good things of God is when He presses us, church. Listen. The olive has to be pressed. The grape has to be pressed. The Christian has to be pressed, church. This is exactly what goes on in our lives. And we need to understand that. It's always part of God's plan to press us. Because when He presses us, church, it makes us more like Him. Amen? In verse 10, as I move on quickly, as Pharaoh and his armies approached... The people of Israel could see the enemy in the distance marching toward them. And the people began to panic, the Bible says, and they turned against Moses and complained. Instead of waiting and watching for his word to be fulfilled. Instead of being still and knowing that he is God. Instead of waiting for his promise to be produced in their life. Instead of resting in God's plan and God's purpose for them, church, the plan and the purpose that they had already spoken, that had already been spoken into their lives, instead of being patient, they panicked, the Bible says, and they turned against Moses. Their patience checked out, and it left room for the fruit of the flesh to flourish instead. Listen, if you and I want God's perfect plan for our life, we have to be patient for it. If you and I want His promise to be produced in our lives, we have to wait for it, church. In Habakkuk 2.3, God says, For my plan awaits an appointed time. It waits a scheduled time. It waits a designated time. It waits a 
ordered time and an ordained time. How many of you know God doesn't do anything haphazardly? God does everything according to His plan. God, nothing ever happens by accident in the kingdom of God. When God moves, there's a purpose behind it. There's a plan behind it. What you need to understand is that the Word of God says, For my plan awaits for a perfectly planned time. Because how many of you know all things are perfect in God's time? All things are beautiful in God's time. All things are ugly in our time. All things get messed up on our time. All things get all confused and chaotic when we try to live according to our time. But they're perfect in God's time. And though it linger, God said, wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. Wait for it. Because waiting is always part of God's plan for your life. Wait for it. Wait for it. This is God's plan. It's how God's plan is fulfilled in our life. It's well, wait for it, God's saying. Don't be anxious. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't throw in the towel. Don't check out. Don't pack your bags. Don't throw in the white flag. Don't give up. Wait for it. For it will surely come. Wait for your healing. For it will surely come. Wait for your victory. For it will surely come. Wait for whatever it is that you've called on God for because He said it will surely come not on our time, but on His time. And His time's perfect, church. Wait for it because my plan has an appointed time to come forth in your life, He said. My provision, my blessing, my power, my favor, my miracle, my healing, my salvation, my help. My promises, he said, have an appointed time to come forth in your life. So be still and wait for it, God said. Wait until it comes. But again, that's so hard for us, church. Our biggest problem is we hate to wait. We hate to be still. We hate to macrothymia like I've just taught, church. We love to take matters into our own hands. We love to beep the horn. We love to complain. We love to fuss. We love to take matters into our own hands. But we hate to wait, church. We hate to wait. Hate to wait for God to mend a marriage. It took us five years to mess it up. We can't wait five days, five weeks, five more years for God to mend it. Take matters into our own hand. Listen, we have to wait for the things that we want. Have to wait for miracles. Have to wait for healing sometimes. Remember I told you last week, God's not in the FedEx business when it comes to working in our lives. Yeah, sometimes He moves like that. But most of the time, like I said last week, He puts us in the crock pot takes time to do some things in our lives. Yeah, somebody told me, boy, that crockpot moved on his wife this week and she fixed a great crockpot meal for him. <laughs> told me to talk about grilling so she'd fix a steak too. <laughs> God's good though, amen? Wait for it. As I wind this down, here's what I want us to see. We've got to, whatever, we, whatever situation we find ourselves in, church, we have to be still and know that He's God. Because in the middle of the mess that they found themselves in, when they began to panic, when they began to fret, when patience checked out, God spoke to Moses and said, Tell the people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, here's the reality. Listen, this is what's so great about God. Even when we're impatient, even when we take matters into our own hands, even when we mess up, God still stops and takes time to settle our soul. Takes time to speak to us. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Just be still. Stop running around. Stop fretting. Stop worrying. Stop taking matters into your own hand. It's exactly what He said. He saw a fretful people. And He said, don't be afraid. He wasn't yelling at them, don't be afraid, you wimps. He just said, don't be afraid. Just be still and know that I'm God. 
Be still and watch me work on your behalf, church. And God did that very thing. Listen, in verse 19, then the angel of God, there's so much, I'm not going to have time to do it. But then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to a position behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved behind them. Because how many of you know God is never out of position in our lives? He's never out of position. God is always perfectly positioned in whatever situation you find yourself in. He's always perfectly positioned to heal you. He's always perfectly positioned to, to help you. He's always perfectly positioned to, to save you or to deliver you or to do whatever it is that you... God is always perfectly positioned and He's always changing His position based on what's going on in our life, church. He did it for the children of Israel and He'll do it for you. He is always perfectly positioned in our life. And the Bible says... And the cloud settled between the Israelite and the Egyptian camp. Like I said before, he always positions himself between us and the enemy. He did it for them, he'll do it for us. As night came, the pillar of cloud turned into a pillar of fire, lighting the Israelite camp. But the cloud became darkness to the Egyptians and they couldn't find or see the Israelites. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. And as I bring this to a close, a couple things if I have time as I wind this down. The very first thing you need to see is that through this entire process, the Lord was leading His people. The angel of the Lord who had been leading the people of Israel. What you and I cannot afford to forget is that when we find ourselves in difficult situations of life, we cannot afford to forget that God has been leading us. That all along, God has been with you. He's with you through the fire. He's with you through the flood. When you walk through the the, the waters, I will be there, God said, and through the flame. The reality is, ever from the very moment they left Egypt, God was leading them. From the very moment that they were brought out of the land of bondage, church, God was walking with them. God was ordering their footsteps. God was leading the way. He was always going before them. He was always preparing their path. He was always perfectly positioned in their lives. And He's perfectly positioned in your life as well. All you have to do and all I have to do is wait and watch. All you and I have to do is be still and know that He's God so He can move on our behalf, church. What we have to understand is that it was always part of God's plan to take them to this very place that they were at. A place where they would be pressed in. A place where it seemed like they were trapped. But remember, that's how God works. It's how He matures us. It's how He strengthens us, like He said. It's how He ripens us and it's how He readies us. He presses us, church. And this is what I close with. What you and I have to remember is that the children of Israel had been, they'd been in bondage for 400 years. They'd been in this place of Egypt for 400 years. And the reality is, God had to press that out of them. He had to press Egypt out of them. He had to press the the mind of slavery out of them. He had to press the heart of slavery out of them. He had to press Pharaoh out of their life. He had to press Egypt out of their life because he was about to take them into a promise. You see, the reality is you can't step into a promised land with a heart filled with Egypt. You can't possess your promise when you've got a mind that's, that's living in Egypt and a heart that's living in Egypt. You need God to press it out of you. And the reality is when we become born again, when we become sons and daughters of the Most High God, When He brings us out of darkness into His glorious light, He's got to press this world out of us, church. He's got to press the things of this world out of your life and out of my life so that we might be able to possess the promise that He has for us. Why are you pressing me, God? Why are you taking me to this place of difficulty, God? Why is it so hard, God? Why? Because he's pressing the flesh out of you and out of me. He's pressing this world out of you and me so that we can possess the promise that he has for us. 
possess this promise here and possess that promise there. So when you find yourself in a place of difficulty, when you find yourself pressed in at the Red Sea, lift up a hand. Lift up your heart. Lift up a song. Lift up a dance. Because God's about to take you into a promise. I don't have time. But please understand, the Israelites made a big, big mistake when they found themselves at the Red Sea. They didn't sing till they got to the other side. They didn't dance till they got to the other side. They didn't rejoice till they got to the other side. I wonder what would have happened if they would have started to dance on this side of the sea. I wonder what would have happened if they would have began to rejoice and clap their hands. God, I, I know you're bringing me three. I know you got a promise for me. You see, that's what we have to be willing to do. When God brings us to that difficult place, we have to be still and know that He's God. We have to be still and know that this is part of God's plan. We have to be still and know that He's doing a work in the soil of my soul. We have to be still and know that He's maturing us. We have to be still and know that He is about to do something miraculous in our lives. We have to be still and know that He has a promise for His people. How many of you want that promise? Stand to your feet as we bring this to a close. Amen. Just stand to your feet tonight. The reality is God has a promise for you. But more times than not, before He'll let you possess it, He'll press you. He'll press you. He'll press your finances. Maybe to find out who they belong to. He'll press your marriage. Maybe to find out what it's built on. See what I'm saying? He'll press you and press you and press me until the fruit of the flesh is gone. And the fruit of the Spirit is left being produced in our lives. Amen? You're here tonight and you say, God, I want the fruit of the Spirit just hanging all over me. I want to possess my promise. So press me, God. Press out this world. Press out the flesh. It's a hard prayer to pray, church. Press out the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Press out jealousy. Press out envy. Press out strife. Press out unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, wrath. Press it all out, God. So all that's left is the true fruit of the vine. Who's the fruit of the vine? Jesus Christ. Press me until the only thing that's flowing out of my life is the fruit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, I just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, for your truth, for your revelation for your challenge. God, more than anything, I thank you so much for your patience towards us, for putting up with us, God, for your long-suffering, for your forbearing spirit. I thank you, Father, for working with us each and every day, overlooking our failures, our struggles, working through our messes and our situations still speaking to us, Father God, when we take matters into our own hands, still concerned for us, God, just like you were with the children of Israel when you saw them in a panic, even after they took matters into your, their own hands. You just told them to not be afraid. So God, I pray that you would just speak into our lives this evening. Whatever it is that each one of us need to hear, let us hear those words from you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that this spirit of patience, this righteous spirit of patience, this heavenly spirit of patience, God, would be cultivated in our lives. I pray, God, like Paul said, that we would make no room for the flesh. 
God, we've got several other virtues that we need to look at, God, but they cannot be cultivated in our lives until we understand this thing called patience. Understanding that we have to wait and watch for you to move. Wait and watch while you're positioning, Father God, positioning us for a miracle, positioning the enemy to be defeated. That's what you did at the Red Sea, God. Took you all night to position the people for a victory, to position the enemy to be defeated. So tonight, that's what my prayer is, God, that the horse and the rider would be thrown into the sea, that whatever it is that's marching against your people, Father God, would be swallowed up in the sea, that whatever it is, Father God, that's standing between us and your promise would be pressed out of our lives this evening, God. So that the only thing that would be left would be the fruit of the Spirit and the character and the virtues of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word this evening, God. Let it find a place within the soil of our soul and let us be bearers of good fruit and fruit that will last. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless them tonight, church? Amen. There was a lot more that I wanted to squeeze in. But let me say this as you go. It was all at the expense of Pharaoh and his army and not at the expense of his people. God could have, listen, God could have, and I know it's late, but listen to me. God could have taken a second to separate the sea. God could have taken a second to dry up the land. Could have done all of that in a second. He could have miraculously just transferred two million people from this side of the sea to the other. Just could have teleported them over there. But he didn't. The reality is, it took all night for two million people to be positioned for a miracle. It took all night for the people to get in line, to get together their goods, to get together their children, to get together the cattle to cross over to the other side. And it took all night for the enemy to come to a place. I don't want to take a whole lot of time, but listen, the longer the night went on, the more angry Pharaoh grew, the more anxious he became to just defeat that enemy. The more God moved on his heart So that when the the cloud moved and the pillar moved and the people started to march, that they would march right in behind them and be swallowed up in the sea. Here's what I'm asking you to do when you go. Be patient. Wait on God. Because it's not at your expense. It's at the enemy's expense. And God said, the enemy which you see today, you will see no more forever. If you would just learn to wait and watch for God, the enemy that's after you, you will see no more forever. If you would be still and know that He's God. Amen. Go and be blessed in the name of Jesus. If you have a special need, we'll tarry for you, tarry with you and pray. But otherwise, go and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Amen.